Cubicle Night Noodlings, recorded on the 23rd of October, 2020. This is my corner of the internet, where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. This is the 21st Hot Pocket-sized podcast that won't scorch the roof of your mouth. On this episode, Modern Computer in a Commodore 64 Shell, WTTR Weather Forecast in the Terminal, Rick Roll for the Terminal, a bit of follow-up, my open SUSE corner, and Computer History Retrospective on Speech Synthesis. I have a small collection of vintage or near-vintage gaming consoles that lean mostly in the Nintendo party as I think they have a greater grasp on what I think is fun. I don't always agree with many of their business practices, but on the entertainment side of things, they provided a multi-generationally successful thing. In order to lower the wasted time of hooking these systems up to enjoy and, and better organize their presentation, I built a gaming rack that was inspired by watching a YouTube channel called Retro Recipes. Seeing how nicely laid out and easily enjoy that they were set up, I made the decision I must adapt this idea into my little world. I'll address this in greater length in the future, but suffice to say, the creation of this gaming rack has made coexisting with lots of tech in the common areas of my house so much better. The big win was a place to keep all the tablets, handhelds, and mobile devices so that they don't linger in the kitchen or on the dining room table, that they have a place to sit and charge, and that's pretty fantastic. The primary item of note here is you can find inspiration all around you. The final result of my gaming rack largely isn't anything like what I saw on Retro Recipes channel, but the purpose and intent is very much the same. I appreciate the inspiration from wherever it materializes. The Commodore 64 was my first computer, and there's something about that classic beige bread bin shape that brings a kind of retro excitement to me. I have many fond childhood memories of flicking the switch on the side of the case when I was greeted with the ready prompt and the blinking cursor on the light gray field. You see, I had a 13-inch wood grain black and white TV that I mostly used with this fine machine, only on special occasions that I get to enjoy it in full color on the family TV in the living room. When I did, though, that blue screen would fill the room with near-endless possibilities of electric joy and hours of entertainment. There hasn't ever really been an experience quite as exhilarating as a child than when I learned how to input those load commands and hear the 1541 disk drive come to life with the warm sounds of the head seeking over the spinning disk. To this day... When I use that disk drive, it takes me back to those bleak winter days when I cozy up to a mug of hot cocoa and the Commodore 64 Delight. So what does it have to do with the modern computer and a Commodore 64 shell? Although today I do keep a real Commodore 64 running and use it from time to time, I often wish there was a modernized version of that bread bin shell so that I could enjoy a flavor of computer goodness performing modern computational workloads. It almost came to pass some years back when there was this project from Commodore USA where you could buy a computer that ran a modified version of Linux to a look and feel like that of the Commodore 64. I searched far and wide to get one of those cases to build myself a modern computer in the style of the Commodore 64. Why? Mostly just because of the smiles that the computer brought to me and the smiles I would like to continue to have day in and day out. So co-host Matt on the DLN Extend podcast sent me a link on Telegram because he is the destination Linux network enabler. He knows the weaknesses of people, and in this case, he knows my retro tech weakness and he also knows my DIY nature, coupled with my almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. So he sent me a link to this Commodore 64-like case for a modern computer. Stock and plastic injection molds from the now-defunct Commodore USA are now in the hands of this entrepreneur. 
Now, the key features, there's a lot of some, you know, it's, it's a case. What can I say? But the key features that really stand out to me are the retro styled case that accepts a mini ITX motherboard, includes a multi format SD card reader on the right side where the joystick would normally be. On the left side, there's a spot for a low profile optical media drive. Not sure if I'd use that because I have my server, which I use for, you know, stuff. The back has a standard mini ITX size opening. So if you put, when you put in the motherboard, you can access all those ports. Second feature, the keyboard is a low-noise USB mechanical cherry switch keyboard. As compared to the original keyboard layout, the cursor keys are laid out properly. The function keys are moved to the top row, activated as some kind of a function key, you know, like a, a meta key or something. And where the function keys are on the original Commodore 64 keyboard, there are media keys instead. And the third is, it boasts Linux compatibility on the main page, which is obvious because, you know, it is using industry standard type components, which makes me think about how standards, although on the surface not fun, are actually there to support the ability to unleash creative thinking. Hence this Commodore 64 case taking modern components. I priced out the components and it will be less than $400 in the internals and I will have a system that will function perfectly for my use case. In fact, I would likely move nearly all of my workloads to this computer over my laptop. After having priced out this or getting another laptop, the price per performance is much more cost-effective here, at least for now. After looking at the case for a short while, looking at candidates for motherboards and CPUs to put inside of it, I caved and I bought the case. More of course on this when it actually arrives. Recently I stumbled on the perfect terminal weather forecast application. It's called WTTR. It's not really an application exactly. It's a curl command that retrieves information from a specific web address. So I've had an affinity for all things terminal in my old or eh, middle age, I guess. Not that I've ever spent all that much time in the terminal back in the 80s or 90s, but as I transitioned into the Linux world, I started to enjoy the terminal and wanted to learn it more and more. Now the full article has you know, all the details and whatnot. What I'm most interested in by this quick and efficient retrieval of the weather forecast is since it's a terminal application, the actual limitations are few of what can access the information. You know, the Commodore 64, the text-only browser should be able to view and certainly any other computer that, that came after it. In effect, it makes nearly any computer built since quite relevant for modern tasks, or at least it certainly helps keep computers useful. Being able to access weather data quickly in the terminal is far preferred over using a web page as it's much quicker, it doesn't gobble up internet bandwidth and resources, and it doesn't cast off all these net trackers at you, you don't have to wait an extended period of time for it to take the data and you know turn into these nice fancy graphics as it loads advertising on the side and whatnot. Now, I'm only using it in a very limited fashion. Basically, I just run a command in the terminal to get my weather in the morning or whatever. The reality is there are far greater uses than how I'm using it now, but it's simple to use. It could be easily made into more graphical application with the right massaging. In fact, they kind of walk you through some aspects of that. So you could create a little, you know, plasmoid widget or something that pulls that weather data and has it in the, what I prefer, terminal type graphics. Because I think that's the new modern, terminal. I was made aware of this, rather re-aware of this information by some of the folks who were at the Other Side Podcast Network, and I'm extremely grateful because it brought lots of smiles to my face and made it really easy to check the weather in the morning. To continue on with this theme of the terminal, I was watching a YouTube channel called Adrian's Digital Basement. I noticed a dancing dude of some kind of, on a small device in the background on his wall of interesting things. It took me a bit of searching to realize it was the Rickroll, and out of curiosity, I had to see if it was available as a terminal command. Sure enough, this absolutely is a thing for the terminal, and so I ended up rickrolling myself. I found this project on GitHub and ran the command and got, had an incredible laugh out of it. In an effort to not lose this again, I made a quick blathering about it on cubiclenate.com. Now there's no value in it, the joke's not funny anymore, but I had to do it just for me. For my Biddle follow-up, we had to talk on application preferences. 
And in keeping with the terminal theme, what I got out of this was the push to use fish instead of bash for my shell. Fish stands for friendly interactive shell. So calling it fish shell is like ATM machine. In short, this truly revolutionized the terminal interface. It takes the terminal from a good to an awesome experience. The bottom line of what makes this awesome, I will create a blathering post about this at some point in time. What makes this really neat is it holds your hand and using the commands in the shell. It has parsed the man pages, so when you start entering a command and press the tab key, it does more than just display what command you're entering. It gives you the options and descriptions of what it is. Continue to press the tab key and you'll cycle through the different commands. Also, when you're in a command, and you hit like the dash and then you're not sure what options you hit tab it gives you what the options are with definitions so you understand what those options do so it literally holds your hand throughout the entire process of using a command so if you're unfamiliar with something or you haven't used it in a while it will have you complete the command correctly also since it does sort of keep track of what you're doing which don't be too scared I'm told it's all on the local machine. Nobody's snooping on you. It will predict what you are going to type in next based on your history. And that is also very convenient. So when I sudo zipper, I start typing D, I can just arrow over and it will include the dup and I can do my, my update. So that is pretty darn cool. I personally think that fish should be used default on all Linux distributions. It's okay if you think I'm wrong. You can send me an email, leave a comment. That's fine. We can have a, we can have a discussion about it. But I would say, why not fish. For my OpenSUSE corner, in the news, introducing the Open Build Service Connector. The Open Build Service Connector is built around bookmarks of packages. Individual packages or whole projects can be checked out directly from within Visual Studio Code, similar as to how you would with OSC. Just like everything else with the OpenSUSE project, it's built on that same philosophy of collaboration, which is at the heart of all things OpenSUSE. And having this built into the Open Build Service makes it that much more fantastic. Node.js, OpenSSL, Mesa updates in Tumbleweed. Some of the major package updates in the last week of snapshots include newer versions of the Linux kernel, Node.js, OpenSSL, Mesa, AppArmor, ImageMagic, Autoyast, and many others. Several CVEs and bug fixes have been addressed, and the Mesa Graphics Library updates to support the Intel Rocket Lake platform. For my Tumbleweed roundup, Snapshot 2020-10-12 has a stable score of 99. The KD Frameworks version went from 5.74 to 5.75. In 2020-10-14, has a stable score of 92 with a Plasma 5 workspace moved to version 5.20.0. 2020-10-19 has a pending stable score of 97. Updates to YAS2, updates to RubyGem, Pipewire, Mesa, and Mesa drivers. 2020-10-21 has a pending stable score of 98. And 2020 10.22 has a pending stable score of 99. Where Plasma 5 had a workspace update to 5.20.1, which had numerous bug fixes. Snapshots are all A's this week. Great job, everybody. If you'd like to see more on the scores, you can visit my show notes or review.tumbleweed.boombatower.com. For my computer history retrospective, I saw an episode of Computer Chronicles on speech synthesis from 1984. We often take for granted about how well speech-to-text and text-to-speech works these days on rather small, handheld devices. I know that I've become unreasonably upset with my mobile when it didn't translate anything or translated what I said poorly. I have to stop and take a look back in time at the history of speech synthesis and compare the size and limitations of the machines in 1984 at the commencement of commercially available solutions for speech synthesis. Although not covered in the episode of Computer Chronicles, there was an application called SAM, which meant Software Automatic Mouth, published in 1982 by 
Don't Ask Software. I played with it a lot on the Commodore 64. And what I found out more recently was that it really taxed the little 64 kilobyte machine, which is why it had to blank the screen when speaking. I have a link to Sam on the web in the show notes if you go to cubiclenate.com and look up this noodling. The application for speech synthesis in 1984 was a bit of a stretch in some ways. I'm not sure if it was a large awkward microphone or the obvious shoehorning of, the, of its usage for checking your stock portfolio, but it did seem a bit clunky. Other uses, like the speak and spell, I thought were good. You are correct. But a camera or my car speaking to me is not really something that I would appreciate today. That is incorrect. I mean, could you imagine your camera telling you that you need to use flash when taking a picture at a wedding or something? The speak and spell is, in my opinion, one of the best examples of a fantastically well-executed consumer product. Though I don't enjoy my speak and spell much as an adult, it is fun to pull out from time to time and see how poorly my spelling still is after many decades on this planet. If speech synthesis is of any interest to you, I recommend watching this and seeing the formative years of computer speech synthesis to gain a bit of appreciation on where we are today. Maybe you totally appreciate it, but I know that my attitude falters from time to time, and it's good to look back and see how far we have journeyed. Inspiration is all around you. It is just a matter of you taking the time to pause for just a moment and look for it. There are truly creative minds out there, freely sharing ideas that you can apply to your life and make things just a bit better for you. Pause and appreciate the bits of inspiration throughout computing history that have made our tech lives so much more interesting and fun. For a nerd, this is truly the best time to be alive. As I've said before, thank you once again for listening to this noodling of nerdy nonsense. If you have any corrections, addendums, or comments, feel free to send me an email at cubiclenate.com. For more of my nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you like on this contact page. I'll get to it as quickly as I can. Until next time, see yous! See ya!